The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, well, good morning. It is great to get to be with you guys uh, this morning. As Matt referenced, uh, we are from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but we're not really from there. When people say, where do you live? We live in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We really were born and raised in Texas. And then we went up through the University of Oklahoma, only to go south to... So yeah, we we're kind of nomadic in that uh, area. And so, but it is great to be with you. I met Shane Kritzer out in Birmingham, and he began to tell me the story of, of really what was going on with Story City here in LA. And it just kind of moved my heart of just the ability for a church to get around a city, the story of God to move out into the city and be a part of that city. And then when you start seeing that church multiply out, you begin to see, man, there is a lot going on. And so as I just began to talk with Shane, I, I called Matt up and we began to have conversation. I was like, man, can I just, can I just come out and see? Like, I just want to see how you guys are impacting the city. And so it's been great to get to be here, and it's great to get to be with you this morning. Um, Matt, when I asked him, I was like, what do, you, what do you want me to teach on? He's like, give me your A-plus sermon. And so when you're ever like, uh, and so, uh, so as I thought through that, I was like, you know what? As I prayed through it, I began to think through, what, what can I do to encourage you guys? How can I encourage you as a church that is multiplying out, as a church who desires to reach the city, and how do we maintain that focus, that vision, that heart for the story of God, for the city of LA? Because here's what happens, is generally when you begin to scale, that focus begins to go left or right. We begin to lose that heart, that uh, ethos, if you will, of what really makes us unique. And so as I began to think through that, there's a church that we can look at in Acts chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip open there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Or at, not 9, 19. Sorry, the slide people are probably like, wait, what? No. Acts 19 is where we're going to pick up. And just a little bit of background. So Acts is really, if you, if you begin to read the Bible, you'll come to Acts, and Acts is really where the church begins to blow up. And you'll start moving through the book of Acts, and you'll see a church planted here, and a church planted here, and a church planted here. What we're rolling into is Paul rolls into the city of Ephesus. And he's going to plant a church in Ephesus. And if you know anything about Ephesus, it's a port city. It would be similar to what L.A. is like. You've got a lot of people who come in and move out, right? And so we can spend time really integrating what is the gospel of Jesus so that we can impact really the world as people come and go through this, but we can also reach our cities and communities. And so as we look at the church of Ephesus, a little background that you can know is when you read through scripture, really the church of Ephesus is one of the churches that we know the most about. We're going to see it planted here in Acts chapter 19. We know that there is a book written to the church at Ephesus. It's the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We know that Timothy was an elder at the church of Ephesus. So you've got First and Second Timothy. We know that John was an elder at the church of Ephesus. So you've got First, Second, Third John. And then what we're going to see this morning is even Jesus speaks into the church of Ephesus. And what Jesus is going to do is as the church grows as it continues to multiply, as it begins to send people out, 
it will lose its vision. And so what do we do? What does Story City do to maintain that vision of we are for the story of God in the city of LA? How do we keep that central? And so I'm excited to look at this with you. So we're going to pick it up in verse 8. I'm going to be reading now the ESV. We've got the NIV up there. And so if it's a little different, um, just hang with me. Verse 8, it says this, And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some become stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, the way is simply what Christians are starting to call, Paul uses it early in Acts 9, but the way is essentially the way to follow Jesus Christ, the way to know him as our Savior. The way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning in the hall of Tyrannius. This continued for two years. Now listen to this. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So check this out. When, when we talk about, I mean, you, you may have heard the word church planting, if you will. You know, Story City was kind of planted here to reach LA. When you talk about pure church planting, here we go. Paul walks into the city of Ephesus. There is no church at this, in the city of Ephesus. There are no followers of Jesus Christ in the city of Ephesus. There is not a movement. And Paul comes in with the intent to raise up people, to raise up leaders so that this could be a hub because it is a port city that they can send out and reach more people in and through this. And it's crazy as you read the Bible, it says, it says, there was no one in Asia who had not heard the word of the Lord, not among the Jews, not among the Gentiles. <clears throat> Excuse me. They had heard the word of the Lord. Now, if you were to ask me, man, that's just lights out urgency, is it not? I mean, think about if we as a people lived with that type of urgency in the span of two years with 12 or so guys, there's this urgency where that everyone hears the gospel. I mean, it's, it's cool when we, when we put it in our context, think of Burbank or even as we move into Granada Hills or think about the, the places you work in, the people you know, the opportunities you have where you can weave in the story. I'm not talking necessarily about street preaching. I'm not necessarily talking about just simply tracking. I'm just simply weaving in who, do, who is Jesus. And think about how that absolutely changes. And we're going to see this. Watch how far it penetrates in Ephesus. We're going to skip ahead to verse 21. We're going to come back to the middle verse here in a second. But verse 20 says, 21 says, now after these events, which are the ones we just skipped over, which we'll come back to. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I've been there, Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, bought no little business, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. So we see as the gospel is penetrating the city of Ephesus, there's people who are like, wait a minute, this is hurting our socioeconomic problem, right? It says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, 
But in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying, and listen, this is Paul. Paul's just a guy that there's no sugarcoat. And he says that God's made with hands are, are not God. Now, I, I kind of want to step back because it's easy for us to read through passages like this in Scripture and say, okay, well, I'm not a silversmith. I, I'm not a blacksmith. I don't really make uh, gods with my hands, right? But honestly, I, I, I would love to sit down with Demetrius. Because Demetrius, if, if it's, he's at all like some of us, there are sins that he is struggling with. There are things that are blinding him. A lot of times we think of sin in this concept in the sense of like sin is missing the mark as if you're aiming in the right direction. It's, a, it's more of a mistake. But really sin, sin is treason against God. And so I would love just to sit down with Demetrius and say, hey, what, what is really going on here? Are you rationalizing what you're doing? Do you not believe what Paul is preaching? Do you not believe what the, the, the Spirit is doing in through this? Demetrius is really one of two things happening in his heart. One, he either legitimately believes he's making these silver images, he's making God, or he believes he just got busted by Paul. What's crazy is either way, he is undeterred from continuing in his action. And I want us to not run past this because it's easier as we see things like carpenters or blacksmiths. That doesn't really translate, but what does it look like for us? What are the idols that maybe as we begin the walk with Christ or maybe what are the idols that we have placed in front of us that are keeping us from really pursuing God? Could be greed, could be wealth, could be envy of someone else's job or position, could be uh, a job or a circumstance, a relationship, a career, a career, fill in the blank. We all have these idols in which we build up that we can kind of surround ourselves around and say, you know what, I don't need to really follow Jesus in this area because I've got this going on, right? And so in some ways, we are no different than Demetrius. And I want that to hang there for a moment as we continue forward. Verse 27 and there is danger not only for that this trade of ours may come to, into disrepute, which it is disreputable because they're lying, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Again, I'm sympathetic towards Demetrius. I mean, as we read this passage, think about what is vested for him. Think about what is going on in his context. His livelihood is made off of what? Artemis, the god, making shrines, making idols for him. That's his livelihood. How's he supporting his family? The idols. We don't know if he believes in it or not, but let's say he believes in it. So he believes in a false god. And so as we walk through this, it makes sense for him to have a little bit of caution of going in because all of his worldview is surrounded by this idea of this god. So as I work with students, and particularly international students who come up through hard, different situations, different worldviews, as we even encounter them here in the city of LA, I think it's true that as we preach the gospel, sometimes it's hard for us to continue on, but to continue on because we're shifting worldviews, right? It's hard to move someone from, I've always thought this, to now I'm going to believe this. And what does that mean? 
And so as we look at this, we see Demetrius' struggle is real, and he begins to oppress Paul's work. Because the reality is this is what happens. Sin blinds us, right? It absolutely blinds us. And then if it's doing something that uh, pushes into our comfort, we begin to move away from it, right? We begin to move away from it. And so this is what happens in verse 28. He gathers this group of people together. They were so enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. Now I want to stop here and I want to unpack this for just a minute. We've seen here something really, if you read through your Bible, no other church is done. If you, were, if you really look at really Christian history, there is no church that we have really that has penetrated a city other than maybe the Reformation, but penetrated a singular city so much so that all of the sin is being moved to the outskirts. Like everyone is coming to know Jesus and they're moving the city out. They're pushing back against evil. And I don't think most of us in this room would not say, man, I would love to be a part of movement where God changes lives. But not that God changes lives. He changes our neighborhoods. He changes our cities. That's what is happening here in Ephesus. But here's the thing. As that socioeconomic and the culture begins to change, there's always going to be people who kind of move up and hold back. We know this, right? See, there's, there's an identity issue that we all have. Starts at the very beginning. Genesis, go through Genesis 1 through 3. We're in the garden with God, right? And there's an interesting statement. If you go back, Moses will say that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm naked, I know it. Um, I'm not, uh, I'd be ashamed a little bit, and I'm not fully ashamed. Sorry, that's too personal for you guys, but... Um, <laughs> But I know it. But here in the garden, they are naked and unashamed because they're receiving all of their identity from God, right? Who am I? Whose am I? I am worthy. I'm good. I'm loved. I'm self-sufficient in God. They're naked and unashamed hardly because hardly they're self-aware, right? They're not looking at each other. They're not comparing their identities to each other. There is no comparison, but what happens as soon as they decide, you know what, I think God's holding out, I'm going to go my own direction. What is the first thing they do? They cover up. Why? Because we begin to look at each other for our identity. Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Am I tan enough? Is my career going the right direction? Do I make enough money? You see the identity that is taking place, and it is literally changing Ephesus. But what we're going to find out is as this church begins to blow up, they're going to move away from this original reality that Jesus is the focus point, that Jesus is the one who has changed us, that Jesus is the one by grace, through faith in him, that changes that identity, that we step back into, not necessarily the garden story, because it will, in the end, go that way, but our identity shifts, and we begin to live differently. So go to Revelation chapter 2, hold your hand here, and we'll head that way. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, it says this, 
verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, he writes, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, this is Jesus, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Jesus says this to the church at Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found and are and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now I want to stop there because you heard me say that he's going to kind of come after the church of Ephesus. That doesn't sound like he's coming after the church of Ephesus at all, does it? It seems like he's encouraging. He's commending them. He's saying, you are enduring. Not only are you enduring, but you're enduring it patiently, and you're not growing weary. I became a Christian about 15, a little over 15 years ago, and I'll be honest with you, I've endured, but I can't say that I've always endured well. I can't say that I've endured patiently. And so from a, uh, a, just a look, a glance at this church, I'm like, yeah, what are they doing? Because they're enduring well and they're not growing weary. For me, when, when endurance comes in, there's a lot of times where I'm looking for that easy button, right? Like if I could hit it, I would hit it. So here's a church that they are enduring well. But not only that, we see another component. They have great doctrine, They have great theology. They know the word according to this text here in Revelation that they are able to spot when a false teacher comes in and begins to teach something that is not in accordance to what they know, they're able to spot out and say, no, that's not right. Nope, that guy, that's a liar. So they've got really two great things working for them. They've got great theology and doctrine and they are enduring well. And so for us in this room, would you not say, that's a church I want to be a part of? right? That's a church I want to be a part of. But watch this, verse 4. Jesus does this, but I have this against you. You have ever had that friend conversation? They're like, hey, let's go get some coffee. And they're like, hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And it's like, yeah, like, me too. But hey, I just wanted to get with you. Um, I wanted to talk about something. And you're like, ah, the trap coffee We see this here with Jesus a little bit. Verse four, but despite that you have great theology, despite that you have great endurance, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless... You repent. Now, this is a heavy text, and we're going to have to do a little bit of work here. So hang with me as we do this. So we've got doctrine alone and endurance alone is not exactly what Christ is after, because that's what he says to them. He says, listen, you've got doctrine and you've got endurance, but this I have against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. So he says to do two things. One, repent of that, abandoning that love, and then two, begin to do the things that stirred your affections for me. And so as we do this work, we look at this sentence and we begin to understand that God's affections for us, his love for us, his forgiveness for us is not predicated upon anything we do or don't, but rather in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, let that hang there for a second because we live in a society that is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. 
What are you going to do? But here we come into the gospel and it says, listen, you're doing two great things while it says, but, but rather you're not focusing on who Jesus is. So he engages Ephesus and he says, you've abandoned the first love you had. Repent and go back. So what is he saying? If you remember back to what you and uh, what we saw happening in Acts chapter 19, we'll see that they are kind of uh, uh, blowing up a little bit. So they're moving the sin out to the sides. And so Christ comes in, he gives this warning, if you don't uh, look at me, if you, don't, if you don't take time to focus on me, if I'm not sinner, then I'm going to remove this. And so essentially what we're seeing is over time, they had vision creep. And vision creeps happens all the time. So for us, even for Story City, to really, like, if we are for the story of God, for the city of LA, then that has to predicate everything we do, right? But when you begin to move away from that, you begin to have different visions, you become isolated. And so that's what this church is saying. Listen, we've got great doctrine. Come here because we have our theology ironed out. And people are like, okay, that's good. And we can help you persevere and endure well. But Jesus is saying, that's not what I have for you. You can have sound doctrine that does not lead to a deeper affection for Jesus. Do you hear that? You can read your Bible. You can get a quiet time. And you can do it. I, in such a way that does not stir your affections for Jesus. You can endure. I bet there are some people in here who have endured a lot of things. But if it's not leading to stirring your affection to Jesus, then you're enduring for no reason. And so he says, I want you to come back. And I want you to remember me as your greatest love. And so the million dollar question for us that we're going to kind of walk through here is, what they do? What is Jesus calling them back to? The answer is back in Acts 19, verse 11. It says this, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their disease left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists. Now I have to pause here because this is when I read the scripture and I'm like, interesting. So there's a job description. It's called itinerant Jewish exorcist. So imagine getting on a plane ride sometimes. Hey, what do you do? I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. Uh, all right. <laughs> Did you see the game last night? Uh, yeah. I, what do you do with that? Um, so... So moving on, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So follow this story. So these yahoos are watching Paul operate, and he's operating in unbelievable power. God is using the spirit through Paul to heal, to bring people to a knowledge of saving faith in the person of Jesus. He is healing the sick. He is raising the lame. He is, he is moving out. And these guys see this, and they say, hey, I want a part of that. Isn't that true? When we see a movement, when we see something great happen, we're like, I want to link up with that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be, it's part of why I'm out here just to see what you guys are doing because it's like, man, seems like God is doing something really significant. What, what is happening? I want to see it. And so these guys say, you know what? I want to do it. Now watch this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And so they come up, they go and find someone who is demon-possessed, and they say to him, 
I adjure you, which is just a polite way to talk to someone who's demon-possessed. I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. Catch that. I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. So they're not even owning Jesus. They're just wanting the aspects of Jesus. I adjure you by Jesus who Paul proclaims. Verse 14 is where we're really going to get into it. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize. What does the demon say next? But who are you? I mean, imagine being a bystander right now, right? You got seven guys walking up on a demon's possessment. They're, they're exorcists, so it's like, okay, this will be interesting, right? And they walk up to him and uh, they say, hey, by Jesus whom Paul proclaims, come out of this man. And the man who has a demon says, Jesus, I know. Paul, yeah. You guys... I don't, I'm not scared at all. So if you're a bystander, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> and rightfully so, what happens? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them and mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now listen, that's in the Bible. So if there is any reason for me to encourage you to read the Bible this morning, it's because stuff like this is in the Bible. It's fascinating. And he leapt on them, overpowered them, and they left wounded and naked. And listen, if you've ever seen a fight, I've been in a couple of fights. It's, it's some dark years of my life. But you know that whenever there's a fight, there's always that argument over who won the fight, right? Like, well, I don't know. He got a couple of punches in. He, uh, he did some things over there. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Listen. I think we can all agree that if you're in a fight and you came into that fight with your pants on and you left the fight without your pants, you lost that fight, right? Like, like there's, there's no like, well, I think he was in a headlock for a little bit. You know, there were a couple of headlocks and they were on top of him. No, like they came in with their drawers on. They left bloodied and without their drawers. They lost the fight. But remember, what are we doing? We're looking for, Jesus is trying to point the church back to what did they first do? What caused them to stay so focused? Verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Extolled is to be praised, to be glorified, to look upon, wow, Wonder, awe, the name of Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, watch this, this is transformation. A number of those who had practiced the magic arts brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, lots of money. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Why? Because Jesus was extolled. Now, I do want to stop and I want to say, and fear fell upon them. Sorry. Fear fell upon them. Um, hooked on phonics, help me. Uh, a holy fear is not just a fear that like, oh, I'm scared of what God is going to. No, 
A holy fear is God can do this. How can we be a part of it? The Lord is absolutely capable. How do we be a part of it? They make much to exalt the name of Jesus. And here's what's necessary for you to extol the name of Jesus. For you to extol the name of Jesus, to make much of the name of Jesus, to worship Jesus, to know him, you have to realize that what you think about Jesus informs your worship of Jesus. Who you believe Jesus to be informs who you worship him as. And as I work with students and young adults and as I teach Sunday mornings and in different venues and various places, I would say that primarily if we were to do, if I were just take a poll right now and say, do you believe Jesus delights in you? I don't know that a ton of hands would go up. But that's the gospel story. We think he's kind of patiently putting up with us. But that's not, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, as you walk through and as you interact with Jesus, you begin to see that he has, he's full of grace and power. You see the woman at the well. You see the prostitute drug out to be stoned. You see Zyche- Zacchaeus. Jesus engages them all where they are. So when you look and you gaze upon and meditate upon Christ, it should call us to extol the name of the Lord. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father art in heaven, what? Hallowed. Man, if you could just start prayer that way, you would begin to understand, man, all my fears and circumstances, they begin to wash away because there is a God who is bigger than my circumstances. There is a God calling us back. And you see this here. If you believe Christ is your enemy, if you believe Christ is trying to rob you, if you believe ultimately Christ comes to bring rules and rules you find very difficult obeying, you're not going to extol. But if you believe that he has come to reunite you with an identity that only you can receive from him, it changes everything. It changes your trajectory. It changes what you want to do. It changes how you view the world. It changes the urgency in which we engage people in our workplaces, in our community, in our neighborhood. Why? Because it changed me. I remember when I became a believer in college, I went home. Both my parents were non-believers, and they thought I was crazy. Over time, they were able to see there is something significant here, and they came to know Jesus. Me? No, I just simply believed and was faithful. And so what does he call this church to? Well, really, there's two things that I want us to see real quickly, and we'll close out. The believers, in verse 18, many of those who are now what? Believers. Those are those of us who know Jesus Christ confessed divulging their practice. How do we draw close to Jesus as a community? How do we remember him as our central focus? Community. This is good, but sitting around a table of a group of people and really saying, man, I'm just going to be honest. I struggle here. There's a lot of people I have conversations like, I just don't feel known. And my response is, do you really want to feel known? Because if we do that, there's a risk, right? There is a risk. 
there's also a great reward of someone speaking truth in your life. I did this with a group of guys recently, and they simply said, you know what, Jeremy? You're so insecure that you're limiting what Christ can do in and through you. You can imagine that washing over me and hearing that spoken into my life. That's community. For us to get there, we have to be honest. And what are we honest about? Jesus. Jesus changed us. And because of that, this is what happens in their city. A number of those who had practice, had practice, they stopped practicing, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of Jesus. And they counted the value of them and found it came 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Amen. Is that not how we want to be as a people of God? Is that not how you want to be as Story City Church? As you say, for the story of God, for the people of LA, that is who we want to be. And so I ask you this morning, where are you at with your relationship with Jesus? Are you like Demetrius where you're just kind of holding back and it's like, I got questions. Yeah, we all got questions. Jesus answers those. We begin to walk into those. It says we get the spirit who gives us the wisdom to understand. Or maybe there are idols in your life that are holding you back. I would say, get with some people and say, listen, I want this and I don't want to let it go because I'm afraid of what Jesus is going to ask. Me too. Me too. I would not have chosen to be a pastor. Like, have you always wanted? No. Who wants to be a pastor? <laughs> Sorry, I, that, that's not in my notes. Stick to the notes. But, <laughs> but no, like, that's my call, and I love it. And the Lord's been faithful. And then secondly, what does that look like for us as we move out into our community? Do we hold it in? Are we inward focused? Man, I hope not. May he continue to raise you up. May he continue to encourage you to move forward. Because God's doing something significant. And man, if you guys can keep Jesus at the center of that, I'm excited for Story City. I'm excited for Granada Hills. I'm excited for whatever the Lord wants to do. Amen? Let me pray for us as the band comes up. Father, we, we love you. Maybe, maybe there are those here this morning that, that haven't made that confession yet. Maybe you moved them. Maybe that this morning is, is a central point where they say, you know what, I am going to take that step. And I'm going to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm terrified, but Jesus, man, I, I need an identity that is real and true. And the only one that can give it to me is the maker of heaven and earth. It's not thou shalt and thou shalt not because he's trying to dictate our lives. It's because he knows the order of the world and we can walk in it. And then we would be a people who share the story with a sense of urgency. Two years, everyone in Asia heard the word of the Lord. May we impact our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces. We'd weave what God Jesus Christ has done in our life into those conversations. In your name we pray, amen.